Take me home. I have a button. <laughs> special, special girls, special, special girls. Hi, guys. Hey. Welcome to another episode of Death by Music Podcast. I don't know which episode number this is because we're doing them all out of order, but it's okay. <laughs> you figure it out. Yeah, I, don't, I, can't I think count. it's maybe seven. So today we are going to be talking about Karen Carpenter. Um, before we get to her story, which is really sad and, yeah. and kind of unique, at least in the music world. I haven't I haven't heard of anybody else who in music has died of eating disorder related causes. Maybe there is somebody. So if there is, let us know. Um, but so far, like she's the only person who I've heard of. We want to acknowledge our sources first. He used a whole yeah. lot of Wikipedia. We did research. I uh, did know a, stuff. Did a lot of research on this one, actually. NationalEatingDisorders.org, Biography.com, yeah. The Observer. Uh, there's an article called Karen Carpenter's Tragic Story by Randy Schmidt. Uh, DoYouRemember.com article by Jane Kenny. And then uh, Time.com has an article called Karen Carpenter Anorexia Death. So the thing is, is after we had talked about doing this and after like this was written and we're like, oh yeah, I'll do it. And then I found a book at work that was like, why Karen Carpenter matters. And it like went into detail about like her and, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe I should have read this book, but I did, we don't have time for that. Right. <laughs> um, oh, wow. This is Cassie. Hi. This is Drew. Hello. <laughs> and I am Alex. We got to figure out how to do this. I don't know. <laughs> Every time. Because, hey, maybe it should be your job. Yes. Okay. Okay, you do it. Everyone, uh, listeners, this is Alex Rose. Hi. Next to her is Cassie Gardner. I'm sitting on her lap, actually. <laughs> <laughs> on top of me. <laughs> and over there. I'm Drew. Drew Orton. I'm here to help these lovely ladies do their thing. No relation to Randy Orton. But you can admit that we look alike and we have the same muscle bone structure. I have a thick neck. <laughs> I like how you is. whispered it. I have a thick neck. I have a also. thick neck. You <laughs> know how thick my neck is. I, I look just like him right now, I'm sure. Are you wearing the tiny pants? I do have the tiny pants, too. All right, tiny pants. We have reusable straws. Do you want one? Well, Alex okay. needs one because her teeth are going to fall out if she doesn't. What? Not because they'll fall out, but because I just have a lot of... Like cavities that I had to get drilled out, and they told me because I drank coffee black for so fucking long. Yeah, um, for like three years straight, I would drink five cups of coffee a day um, with no straw, and like didn't think that it was doing anything to my teeth. And then I went to the dentist. The recommendations are the straw, or they're like drink it fast as fuck, and then drink some water. That's what yeah. They say. The girl told me to like drink coffee with a straw, and then rinse my mouth out with water. Hot coffee and a straw. I do it. It's gross. It's not fun when it just blasts the yeah, back of your throat, like but scalding your insides. But, but it's dentist, not coffee. My dentist was like, chug it and then drink water and like swash your mouth out immediately. You afterwards. could also use Sensodyne toothpaste. Did they tell you that? But what I do is I will brush my teeth first with regular toothpaste and then put Sensodyne on the teeth that are sensitive because oh. I feel like if that doesn't freshen my breath at all and it feels kind of pointless. Okay, well. <laughs> These are good. These are good things. After they drilled out all of my cavities, then my teeth were very sensitive, and they never were before. I've never had pain. I've never had sensitivities, and then I got my cavities drilled out, and now like my teeth constantly hurt. You have your wisdom teeth out, right? I have one tooth, so I was like, oh, I don't. You only have one tooth. One tooth in general. I'm real ugly, y'all. It's really hard to tell with you know not being able to see you. So I was initially told when I was like in high school, like, oh, you don't have any coming in, and my sister's like, ah, you're seeing bad. You have no wisdom teeth. 
I was like, I just don't have to get them removed. Like, you it's and cool. your fucking sister. I know. Same thing with my sister. <laughs> and my sister got braces. She got yes. like, the whole fucking nine. My sister has gl- glasses and braces, but I was yeah. made fun of. Wow. <laughs> Anyways, speaking of bad teeth, today we're going to be talking about Karen Carpenter. She had bad teeth. She had bad is teeth. A, is that a bulimia joke? It's not a joke. It's a fact. Well, if you're bulimic, you all of the acid, you know, from your stu- your stomach acid coming. Well, that up. wasn't the only thing she was doing. But yes, okay, I understand that. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was. She was okay. We'll that get was- into it. But if you're bulimic, generally it rots your teeth because of the stomach acid. So, anyways, Karen Carpenter. Karen Carpenter was an American singer, and she was actually a drummer in a band with her older brother Richard called the Carpenters. Wow. They were active in the seventies. Uh, with an easy listening pop 70s vibe. Um, And as you guys know, we make playlists for every show uh, on Spotify so you can listen to the music of the people we're talking about. But I'm going to be honest with you. um, This is some music that I cannot stand. It's it's the stuff that you would find playing on an AM station nowadays, or hopefully not at all. But for the... For the sake of this episode, I'm really going to try and put my hatred of their music aside, but it really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to remind all of you, wonderful listeners, that we do have the curated Spotify playlist available that Alex also Airfor mentioned. Airfor mentioned? Is that a word? I just made it up. It's cool. Henceforth. Thou art. Um, anyway, so I don't have a harbored hatred of Karen or the Carpenters. I've only really, before writing this, had heard their Christmas stuff, which was still kind of like, you know, her... Hey, Christmas baby. One. All the bullshit. Like, it's very, like, elevator music-y. It's something that if you were, like, grocery shopping at, like, a farm fresh in the early 90s, you would hear. Yeah. She's so. a fantastic drummer. Yeah, she's pretty cool. I mean, personal tastes and jokes aside, Karen Carpenter, <laughs> um, she she really did suffer for a very long time with yeah. something that nearly every woman has issues with, which is body image. Yep. Her obsession with her weight and appearance would ultimately be the cause of her death at the incredibly young age of 32. So, you know, as with as with all of our episodes, it will end very sadly. Yeah. So Spoiler. Um, this episode may be particularly sensitive to some people because it deals with anorexia nervosa. Yeah, if you think this information is triggering or distressing to you, we do encourage that you probably skip this episode. We don't want to be the reason that, like... Triggers happen, and then you, mm-hmm. I mean, not that, I mean, you can blame us, sure, but I just want to let you know right now that this is very sensitive information. Um, we're just here to relay the facts surrounding Karen and raising awareness to one of the deadliest mental illnesses, second to only opioid overdose. Yeah, and I want to start off by saying that we don't want to pass any judgment on anyone who's dealing with body dysmorphia, eating disorders, anorexia, bulimia, etc., uh, we really want to try and approach this topic in the most sensitive way possible because, like, shit, we're girls too. Yeah. And weight is something that we've been hyper, hyper-focused on and struggled with for a lot of our lives as well. Yeah. I was called Pumbaa by my sister and the neighborhood boys. Oh, my God. You're yeah. fucking sister. No, yeah. no. So now it's funny because I have a little figurine of Pumbaa. Like, it's funny to me now. But, like, as a child, that is, like, the most, like, the you have nothing. Right. <laughs> Control. It's, it's fucked up. I was taller than everyone and I was also bigger than everyone. And she was like this. So they would call her Timon and me Pumbaa. So, Ew, yeah. I'm sorry. You That's had to okay. deal with that. Okay. So we pulled some, <laughs> we pulled some general statistics to give you guys a bit of background info about eating disorders. Yeah. They affect at least 9% of the population worldwide. That 9% of the U.S. population, which is 28.8 million Americans, will have an eating disorder in their lifetime. 
10,200 deaths occur each year as a direct result of eating disorders. That's one death every 52 minutes. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, In 2007, the National Eating Disorder Association studied girls from ages 8 to 20 years old to find that 13.2% of them had suffered from an eating disorder by the age of 20. And the statistics were categorized uh, by the DSM-5 criteria for eating disorders. Right, and there's, I do want to say there's, the six is out now. So this was yeah, like this 10 is, years ago, mm-hmm. if that. So those numbers, especially with social media included, those yes. numbers have probably skyrocketed. Very so different. keep that in mind. <laughs> um, another study in 2011 found that by age six, girls are already concerned about their weight or shape, which is so sad. Yeah. You're fucking six. Mm-hmm. Um, and 40 to 60% of elementary school girls are worried about getting too fat. Uh, the research shows that these concerns continue for the, their entire lives. Yeah, so I was looking for more current information too, just so we had a better statistic about what is... Um, caused by social media. So a Washington Post article from January of 2019, which was at this point two years ago, which is Mm -hmm. crazy. Um, According to the annual American Academy of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery Survey, selfies continue to be a driving force behind why people wish to get their plastic surgery. And in 2017, a survey found that 55% of surgeons reported seeing patients who requested surgery to look better in selfies and a 13% increase from the previous year's results. So another source on marketwatch.com indicated that even teenagers are seeking plastic surgery because of social media. The um, official medical journal of the American Society of Plastic Surgeons indicates that roughly 229,000 cosmetic procedures were performed by patients, or performed by patients, (laughs) on patients aged 13 to 19. Jesus Christ. As as a teen, I was like, because, I mean, this has been a thing the entire time. The fashion industry has just been messed up with their sizing and every store you shop at is a different size. So mm-hmm. I could go to one store, I could go to Old Navy, I could buy like three pairs of jeans, I'd be set. But I would go to fucking American Eagle and the size at Ooh. Old Navy is not the same size at American Eagle. And I would not be able to find a single thing in that store that fit me. And it makes you feel like shit. Dove is another one of those companies like Target that's doing like a body positive sort of thing. And they did a global beauty and confidence report of just over 10,000 women in 13 different countries. They found that nine out of 10 women will not eat and risk putting their health at stake if they feel bad about their body image. Obviously, men can suffer from an eating disorder too. We don't want to ignore that fact. Uh, They found that 25% of people with anorexia nervosa were men. And here's a pretty scary stat. Young people ages 15 to 24 with anorexia have a 10 times higher risk of dying compared to their peers. Yeah. I mean... I do want to give out a shout out to Dove because A, they have the best fucking dry shampoo you could ever imagine. <laughs> um, they have it for brunette hair now. So you don't look like a just Ooh. you powdered a baby and then walked out of your house. <laughs> um, so they are not a sponsor. I do use quite a bit of their products. But after researching why the heck they were even involved in this study, they actually have their own self-esteem project. Their website says the Dove self-esteem project was created from a vision where beauty is a source of confidence and not anxiety. They have reached over 60 million young people with their self-esteem beauty education. And by 2030, they're aiming to have helped a quarter billion of them to provide and build their positive body images. 
Um, their company mission is actually to ensure the next generation grows up enjoying a positive relationship with the way they look, which is very hard, especially for girls. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to help young people raise their self-esteem and realize that they have full potential that doesn't rely just on beauty, which is great. We need that. Um, and Dove has partnered with leading experts in the fields of psychology, health, and body image to create a program of evidence-based resources, including parenting advice, because it does mm. start at home. Yeah. So now that we know some stats, let's get into anorexia nervosa, which is the particular eating disorder that Karen Carpenter was suffering from. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this one is really like a psychological and a physical disorder. Generally, it starts because someone sees themselves as fat or overweight. So it's like a mental thing. That's body dysmorphia. Mm-hmm. You can be anorexic at any weight. You typically think of someone anorexic as being starvation level skinny, but it doesn't matter. You could be, you could weigh more and yeah. still be anorexic. It's it's the activities that you're doing. Um, so the major things are desiring to be thin, being fearful of weight gain, and restricting your food consumption to achieve this. People suffering from anorexia nervosa typically weigh themselves constantly. They only eat a tiny bit. They exercise constantly. Um, They use laxatives. They force themselves to vomit and more. Technically, the cause is unknown, like scientifically, but I think we can attribute a lot of it to societal standards of beauty. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. So (laughs) other causes can be people, whether that's your parents, (laughs) classmates, whoever. Sisters. Um, Sisters who have called you <laughs> Pumba. It's fine. I'm okay, guys. It's cool. Um, and just anybody who has made a person feel insecure. And it can be brought on by stress, life changes, or even some genetic components. And they did some twin studies and found that identical twins are more likely to suffer from anorexia nervosa than fraternal. Um, but that could be because you have somebody who looks just like you that you're constantly comparing yourself to. Yeah. Or competing with. Yeah. This social media aspect where you can constantly compare yourself to others and you just like, oh, well, I'm doing better than them. And you kind of put yourself in this pedestal. And then when you see that person starting to get better, you're like, you know, it's just, it does not help with teens today. Like, I think it's very unsafe for them to have. Kids are so mean already. Kids were mean to us when we didn't have the internet. <laughs> kids so are mean. imagine what it's like for some kids now where like, yeah. I, I have a friend that has a daughter that, like, her her nemesis is at school started a hate page against her and, uh, like, and made it, you know, private to her. But she was, like, the laughingstock of all these memes and jokes she didn't even know about for six months. We'll get to it with, as far as it relates to Karen Carpenter, it wasn't mm-hmm. so much of other people saying stuff, but it was, had a lot to do with her parents, which we mentioned sure. earlier. It can yeah. come from your parents, and it, it was her... It does start It was her home. mom, really. Um, so in, oh my God, we talked so much about anorexia. I don't even know when we start talking about Karen pretty soon here, I'm sure. Um, so it's fine. We had stuff to say. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, people are constantly evaluating themselves and others in domains like attractiveness, wealth, intelligence, and success. Um, according to some studies, as much as 10% of our thoughts involve comparisons of some kind. What the fuck? So later research has shown that people who regularly compare themselves to others may find motivation to improve, but also may experience feelings of deep dissatisfaction, guilt, or remorse, and engage in destructive behaviors like lying or disordered eating. I don't think you understand that until you're older. 
Yeah. And she was still like a child going through this. She was she was dealing with it from a young age. Yeah. And then, I mean, she didn't, didn't really get help. Yeah, she didn't really get help. And then she wasn't that old really when she died either. Mm-hmm. So. I don't think there was a help system back then. No, there wasn't. No. She she really she really was the face of this at the time. Like the first really public famous case of this yeah. being a thing. So she's her case is really important. Um, generally to treat anorexia, it involves first off restoring the weight and then sorting out whatever the psychological problems are associated with it. Medications can be prescribed for depression and anxiety, which is usually like one part of it. Um, you can get therapy, you can be admitted to a hospital, and even feeding tubes can be utilized if the person refuses to eat on their own. So it's a two-sided thing. You need to eat, you need to be physically healthy, and then you also need to be mentally healthy. Um, but the feeding tubes aren't always the best way. They don't actually teach the patient how to be okay with ingesting food orally. No, if I had an issue with eating, I'm not going to be happy with a tube being shoved down my throat just so I could put food into my stomach. Like, that's not going to yeah. help me at all. Also, if you haven't eaten in a month, you can't just eat a fucking cheeseburger. Right, it's, yes, and no. you'll... We'll, we'll get into it with her case, too, because she got really, really, really bad. Mm. Um And surprise, surprise, anorexia is more common in career fields that value thinness, um, which is pretty much every entertainment industry job except for sumo wrestling. Karen was a pop singer. She was generally the face of the Carpenters, and they were doing concerts, TV appearances, and more, all under the scrutiny of the entire world. But that is not where Karen's problem started, so we're going to go back to the very beginning. Karen Ann Carpenter was born in New Haven, Connecticut on March 2nd, 1950. To her parents, Agnes and Harold, her Mm. brother Richard was three years older and her only sibling. 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 The two seemed to be incredibly intelligent children, with Richard being described as a piano prodigy and Karen being particularly skilled with dance and music as well. Karen's mother, Agnes, was allegedly incapable of showing affection, which was really all that Karen wanted from her. Um, Agnes would blame her northernness for her absence of emotion, which, you know, I kind of get. Like, my parents are from the north, and we're not very affectionate whatsoever. Like, we don't... doesn't hug? We'll hug each other, but that's only because we live 16 hours away. That's true. And it's only when we say goodbye, like, for good, and then, like, when we're on the phone, we don't, like... We don't say, like, I love you, bye. We just, like, later... So I get it. <laughs> okay. It's definitely how your family is, which is weird to me because, like, if I get off the phone without saying, like, I love you to my mom, I'm like... She'll call you back, like, excuse be, me. <laughs> yeah, like, is everything okay? Oh, like, are my gosh. you okay? Where, where are your parents What's from? Wrong? Uh, well, we... Everywhere, but Northeast, okay. you know? Yeah. I, mean, we grew, I grew up Maybe in it's Northeast. a Midwest thing. Maybe. That's, I don't know. My, my dad's parents well, were New York and... That, that was me, New York, Philly. Connecticut, and they were not... They were kind of icy. So, mm, oh, okay. I think where it's cold, people are cold. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, thaw. well, Agnes herself would blame her northernness for her absence of emotion. The lack of love from her mother was completely avoided in the Karen Carpenter story, which was a TV show. And it was largely unknown until Randy Schmidt's book, Carpenters, an Illustrated Discography. Hmm. Their father, Harold, was in the printing business, and in 1963, he was offered a position in L.A. The family uprooted. They moved across the country. Though Karen enjoyed baseball when she was young, when she entered high school at age 14, which was one year younger than the rest of her class, she enrolled in band um, because she really wanted to avoid gym class. Karen told People magazine, 
quote, I couldn't stand track at 8 a.m. or a cold pool, so they put me in band and gave me a glockenspiel, <laughs> which I had to look up. It's like a xylophone, but with yeah. metal bars, the metal metal one. A xylophone has the wooden... Uh, that's a marimba. Marimba is wood. Xylophone is metal, but uh, glockenspiel actually has the tubes on the bottom of it. Okay. Yeah. Whenever you say... Be- the bellows. They have bellows attached to the... Uh, the, the notes. Alrighty then. Well, Karen hated it. She thought it sucked. Um, she had a friend <laughs> teach her drums instead, and she was a really quick study. She fell in love with the drums. She learned to play different grips and more complex time signatures than you might learn in a high school band. After graduating high school, Karen enrolled at Long Beach State as a music major with her brother, where they performed in the choir. Hmm. Her director noted that she had a great singing voice for pop and trained her to sing in three octaves. At the same time, Karen weighed around 145 pounds in high school. She was five foot four, which was considered high for a 17-year-old. BMI is a lie, by the way. Yes. Anyway. So after being called chubby as a teenager, she began dieting. She started with a Stillman water diet. Apparently, this was under a doctor's guidance. Mm. It's similar to Atkins. It's high protein, low carb, no dressings or condiments allowed. But you can have seasoning. The only drinks you can consume are tea and coffee, and you have to have mandatory eight glasses of water a day. Karen lost 20 pounds with this method, but it was not enough for her. The Mm. psychological damage had already been done. Yeah, she actually would remain 120 pounds until 1973, which was the height of her career. Time magazine actually reported when she slimmed down from 145 to 120 pounds, her friends and family praised her weight loss, and it was only after her weight continued to plummet dropping to a skeletal 90 pounds in the mid-70s that she, they realized her health was actually in jeopardy. Damn, 5'5 five, five and 90 pounds? Mm-hmm. That is uh, that is starving. Yeah. Karen's first band wasn't actually with her brother. It was an all-girl trio called 2 Plus 2. Um, it sounds natural that they would have four members, but when Karen asked the girls if Richard could join, they broke up. <laughs> so <laughs> Karen and Richard formed their own band with another friend called the Richard Carpenter Trio, And they immediately found success. They were performing on TV. Uh, They won a battle of the bands at the Hollywood Bowl. The Carpenter's parents expected Richard to be commercially successful. I think he was clearly the favorite. Obviously. (laughs) they were not expecting Karen to become a star. Wow. Their mother, Agnes especially, praised Richard nonstop for his musical talents, which Karen eventually grew to resent her for. Yeah. This is par for the course with almost every episode that we've done is a shitty parent... Tell like making their kids feel like they're not good enough. It's yeah. like again and again and again. I don't think well, it starts there and then it doesn't follow through with them achieving semi greatness. It's like, well, yeah. your brother's still better. Yeah. Thanks, though. And yeah. also, we're not encouraging nice you to be bad to your kid if you want them to be successful. But <laughs> holy shit, does no. it work sometimes? It's like when you um, when you put pressure and it makes diamonds. You know. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Their early groups were not successful, quite literally, because their music was super boring. Um, They could not attract live audiences compared to the hard rock and psychedelic music that was popping up at the same time. I mean, it was like 1969. Um, They were finally offered a contract with A&M as a brother-sister duo called The Carpenters. A&M reinforced their squeaky clean, good old American teenager image. So they came out with their first album, Ticket to Ride, with Richard doing most of the songwriting and singing, and Karen starting out as a drummer and a co-singer. She also played bass on two songs. Wow. Ticket to Ride was a Beatles cover. It was their first single and their first hit. It hit uh, number 54 on the Billboard Hot 100. 
Their next album, Close to You, in 1970, had a number one and a number two hit on the Billboard charts, and they also won a Grammy for Best New Artist, although some critics shat on them for being too sentimental and square. So this is when Karen really started to become the face of the band. She had initially been playing drums while singing, but people couldn't see her because she was so small behind the drum set. So audiences were always complaining about like not having a focal point when they were watching the band play. Her brother and manager persuaded her to come out from behind the kit and sing at the front of the stage during live shows. Throughout their career, she would alternate with singing center stage and taking a seat behind their kit. In 1973, the duo released Now and Then, and Karen became the permanent focal point of the band. They toured extensively, and this is where things really started to get worse for Karen and her eating disorder. She saw herself on a Bob Hope special in an outfit that accentuated her pooch, um, which is like that little bit of fat like at the bottom of your stomach. Sure, we all have it. It's for babies. We all have it. Um, Anyways, so she saw that. I think it was like a silk dress, and silk is not a flattering fabric at all. She noticed that it accentuated her pooch. She pointed it out to Richard, and he agreed. He said, yeah, it looks like you've gained some weight. And so Karen vowed to do something about it. She hired a personal trainer immediately, and... As we should all know, working out doesn't necessarily mean that you're losing weight on the scale. Yep. Um, you like start to build muscle first and then burn fat, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and muscle, muscle weighs more than fat. Yeah. So it's really about body composition. Karen actually ended up gaining a few pounds with her trainer. So she ditched it and took matters into her own hands. She purchased a portable hip cycle. She would take that on tour with her. She began doing a lot of the things anorexia nervosa sufferers frequent, which is constant exercise, calorie counting. She would push food around on her plate or offer it to others. And eventually her weight dropped to 105 pounds. People started catching on, including her mother, when Karen would offer food from her own plate and say how delicious it was. Agnes would then offer back some of her own food saying, well, this is really good too. Karen decided that, she was going to have to find new strategies to keep from eating. Yeah, like Alex said, eating on tour was actually problematic for her, as she described in 1973. When you're on the road, it's hard to eat, period. And on top of that, it's rough to eat. We don't like to eat before a show because we can't stand singing on a full stomach. You never get to dinner until like midnight, and if you eat heavy, you're not going to sleep, so you're going to be a balloon. Direct quote. In 1974, the Carpenters took a much-needed break from recording and touring. Tensions were pretty high as Richard started dating their hairdresser, which neither Agnes nor Karen approved of. Eventually, they broke up, the hairdresser quit, and Karen and Richard finally moved out of their parents' house to their own place. Wow. The Carpenters had a Japanese tour, and when they came back, they released a Greatest Hits compilation instead of a new album. Once 1975 rolled around, the pair decided to cover Please Mr. Postman by the Marvelettes, leading to their third and final number one hit on the Billboard charts. By September of that year, she was down to 91 pounds, and Mm. the audience would audibly gasp when she took the stage. Fans would write her and ask if she was okay. Karen would dodge any questions and avoid drawing attention to her illness at all costs. If reporters asked about her health, Karen would brush it off saying she was simply pooped. Or that it was just really hard to eat on tour, like the quote Cassie mentioned earlier. Band member John Bettis, Bettis? Bettis. Bettis. recalled that anorexia nervosa was so new that he didn't even know how to pronounce it until 1980. And that from outside, the simp- or the solution looks pretty simple. All a person has to do is eat. So they were actually trying to constantly shove food at Karen 
But his opinion about anorexia is that it's an attempt to have control over something that you can do something about. You can regimen it. You are the direct reason mm-hmm. right. why it's working or not working. You see that and, in fasting a lot. Nowadays. Right. So you, it, he just said that she got out of control with it. So which, Yeah. I mean, for some people, it might not even be about body image or looking fat or whatever they think. It's, it is about having control over one thing in their life. Especially like, I mean, she did have the body image aspect of it, but like when you have everybody pulling you every which way because you're famous, yeah. then it makes sense to want to have control over the one thing. It's why Britney Spears shaved her head. Yeah. Yeah. She's it's like, also, fuck all y'all. I'm going to yeah. shave. I got control over my hair. I, I don't know how much you guys follow Demi Lovato because she struggled with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And I follow her on social media and she had posted back on her last birthday that her management team actually got her a real birthday cake because every other, since Disney up until she had this new management team, they were either giving her like vegetables or like wouldn't let her have, they like strictly restricted what she could eat, what she could have. The hummus. Honestly, yeah. So she was like, this is the first time since my career has started that someone's actually allowed me to have an actual birthday cake. And that's so messed up. Yeah, I just had a friend come in town who... She was like asking about waist training because mm-hmm. she's big into cosplay and she was like, well, all of these cosplay models, they all like have this hourglass figure and I don't and I want to do that, but I don't look like that. And it was like, you know that that's not because they're waist training, right? That's because they're photoshopping their fucking pictures. That's not real. That too. It's not fucking real. People don't look like that. There's a subreddit called Instagram reality and it shows the real pictures and then the pictures that the people put up that are way photoshopped and then it makes you feel so much better. So Karen's agent Sherwin Bash explained to or explained that when Karen would diet or what he called over dieting, there was a rush of attention from the family, especially her mother, Agnes, who Mm. we learned before did not give Karen any attention. And since Karen was never really in the spotlight with her own mother, she was finally getting that attention that she so much like desperately wanted from her. Yeah. So according, also according to Bash, um, experts say that one of the things that seems to drive young girls to overdiet is that they oftentimes, the kids don't get enough attention at home. So it's a way of getting the love from their family that they never got before. Um, it's just, you know, one of those things, especially when Richard is the Yeah, when he horse. was a star child. Yeah. So Karen went on to begin layering her clothing a strategy her agent noticed in the early part of 1975. And uh, Bash explained that she would start with a long sleeve shirt, put a blouse on top of that, a sweater on top of that, a jacket on top of that. And with all of it, you had no idea how small she actually was underneath. So in autumn of 1975, Karen and her failing health could no longer be ignored. She was seen at the hospital for her severe case of physical and nervous exhaustion said Dr. Robert Coblin. <laughs> he, he went on to tell the press at the time that she had a, a hectic four-week schedule lined up in Europe, but he could not allow her to go through with it. And in his opinion, it would have been highly dangerous to her long-term health. Now, Melody Maker, um, a site, had reported that the Carpenters tour would actually have been the highest-grossing tour in Britain and that approximately 150,000 people were set to see them during the planned 28-day European trek. Ticket sales for the 50 shows, which sold out in a matter of hours, had to be refunded. Oof. And it was reported that the Carpenters may have easily lost upwards of $250,000 due to all the canceled concerts. Damn. Yeah. So that was 1975. In 1976, the group continued to record and tour, but their 
Strenuous lifestyle is really taking a toll on both Karen and Richard. Um, Karen continued to shed the pounds. She was opting for low-cut or backless dresses on stage. Their manager actually encouraged her to cover up, but audiences had already seen her bones sticking out. Yeah, the band members actually noticed her taking naps, which was pretty unusual because what they were worried about, her displaying this, like, tremendous amount of nervous energy. She would just, like nap and then she would be anxious and freaking out mm. and they didn't know how to help her. Yeah. And in place of a new album for 1978, a second compilation they released um called The Singles from 1974 to 1978 and again was released in the UK where it reached number 2 in the charts and in the US their first Christmas album Christmas Portrait became a seasonal favorite. Richard was not immune to the pressures of the road, too. He had become addicted to quaaludes in 1978. Uh, He gradually increased his doses since being prescribed in 1971, and that really led to the breakup of the group. Richard decided to stop touring. Karen went on her own, and Richard entered treatment. At that point, he was certain of Karen's illness, but anorexia nervosa wasn't really a household term at the time. Right. Anytime he tried to bring it up, Karen would just shut the conversation down. She went on to record a solo album. It wasn't actually released until 13 years after her death. When the label refused to release her work, Karen was absolutely devastated. Yeah, A&M, uh, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> A&M executives in New York approved the material, but the executives in Los Angeles, including label owners Herb Albert, yes, Herb Albert of the Tijuana Aww. Brass, who else? <laughs> Duh. And then there was Jerry Moss. They both responded negatively to the album. Herb Albert called the album unreleasable, as if he had any room to talk. <laughs> Quincy Jones. Jesus. <laughs> Have you listened to Herb Albert? Uh, don't. I don't think so. Quincy Jones tried to actually jump through all the higher hoops to get the album released. Go ahead, Quincy. He had a better ear anyway. We all know this. Mm. Um, but Albert Moss and Derek Green, which was the vice president of A&M at the time, insisted the album just had to be canceled. So, and after two months of dating, Tom Burris and Karen decided they wanted to spend the rest of their lives together. So in July 1980, they announced that they were going to be wed in August of the same year. The quickness of the engagement alarmed many of Karen's friends. Just days before her wedding rehearsal, Burris told Karen that he had a vasectomy prior to their meeting, and Karen was shocked. Oh, my God. Um, Her main priorities were basically to get married and start a family, and he knew that. (laughs) So reports stated he offered to reverse the procedure, but the chances of them having a family would be less significant. Oh my gosh. What's crazy too is like she wanted to have this perfect family because it's something that she never had. So like... Well, you can reverse that. You can reverse that. Yeah, but it's very unlikely that they were going to, you know, easily be able to do that. No, No. and she wasn't healthy enough anyway. She was not healthy enough. Do you think she would have eaten for two? Oh, stop. I don't think she would have. No, I mean, she was like, this is enough. But maybe it could have, it could have actually been a chance for her to turn things around. Yes. Because then it's no longer about her. It's about her child. And she probably wouldn't want her child to go through the same shit and body image issues that she had. So she would have maybe taken care of herself and the baby. Yeah. So Karen felt absolutely betrayed. Um, Burris kept this information to himself the entire time, knowing that that was the, you know, she wanted nothing more to have her own family. Karen decided that no way this is the deal breaker. And she called her mom to let her know she was calling off the, the wedding. Her lovely mother, Agnes... Tells Karen, no, the family's already on their way. The wedding is costing me a fortune. And she says, direct quote, 
Invitations have gone out. There are reporters and photographers <laughs> coming. People Magazine is going to be there. The wedding is on, and you will walk down that aisle. You made your bed, Karen. Now you're going to have to lay in it. Ew. So Burris went on to spend all of Karen's money. He was living well beyond his means, and it wasn't long before they got married that he started asking her, like, hey, like, money, please. You got so, some cash. Um, Karen's friend Evelyn Wallace was, like, super skeptical the whole time. She said that Burris would give Karen some excuse, and she'd give him the money. He'd ask for $35,000 and $50,000 at a time. Finally got to the point where all she had left in, like, her name was stocks and bonds. So, like, I think he was just using her for his money. Or her money. Yeah. Um, Karen also admitted to her friends and family that Burris was impatient, and she was fearful when he would lose his temper. But she decided that her longing to be a mother was stronger than her desire to leave her husband. Wait. And that's how true crime stories begin. Right, but they're both, like, mutually exclusive, though. She's not going to be a mother if she leave, if she doesn't leave her husband. True. Well, yeah, I mean, well, she could. He offered to reverse it, so there's a chance. Okay, well, alrighty. So she told Burris she wanted to begin their family, and his response that he wouldn't even consider having children with her, followed by calling her bag of bones. What a fucking mm. asshole. Yeah, people suck. Fuck him. Oh Get out. <laughs> yeah. Him and Agnes, both of them. Like, what is Run up? off together, Burris <laughs> and Agnes. Get Gross. out. Gross. Right, so when Richard Carpenter was through with his treatment for his quaalude addiction, the pair decided to reunite for some television specials and a new album. Karen appeared on TV to have reached a healthier weight, but behind the scenes, she was super exhausted. She was laying down flat on the floor before and after shows, and she was just putting all of the energy that she had into her performance. Yeah, that and she was, like, worried about problems at home. Like, she had yeah. crappy home yeah. life, crappy stage life. And returning to Los Angeles in November 1981, Karen actually was able to file for divorce and decided she was going to get help. So she spoke with a woman who overcame her anorexia, Cherry Boone, and was referred to her doctor. But anorexia does not have a quick fix at all. (laughs) And the doctor said that treatment could take up to three years. Karen had touring and recording obligations to attend to, so she opted to see a psychotherapist instead. And her family really didn't understand the decision. They believed that Karen just needed to eat and stop being so stubborn. Mm. Uh, The psychotherapist was aiming to treat her anorexia from the other angle with group therapy sessions without threatening her and just trying to change the thought patterns that brought her to this disease. In one therapy session, the therapist encouraged the family to tell Karen that they loved her. Richard said, of course I love Karen. And their mother flat out refused to fucking say it. I am not surprised. Yes. I am not. (laughs) The family deemed that the treatment method was useless and they did not continue to make contact with the therapist about Karen's progress. He said that that was super unusual, that he'd never had a family cut ties because they were always concerned about the patient, their loved one's progress and well-being. So this was the first family who was ever like, this is stupid, what the fuck? (laughs) Rather than care about the person. The psychotherapist confiscated Karen's medications that she'd been abusing, but it didn't stop her. She was able to obtain some thyroid replacement medication under her married name, which caused her metabolism to speed up, combined with an increased dosage of laxatives. So she was taking 10 thyroid pills a day and 80 to 90 Ducalax at night. Yeah. So Karen's doctor actually knew it to be common practice of taking 60 laxatives at one time in order to destroy evidence of taking them. And as 60 tablets were usually how many the boxes came with, they could destroy the evidence of having nothing in your stomach. What does your stomach do with, with laxatives at that point? 
Does it eat your stomach lining? It ruins your heart. Yeah. Yeah? We'll, we'll get to that. We'll okay. Get, oh, we'll you guys already there. did the research. Okay. So her, uh. her psychotherapist suspected that she had relapsed, and um, he had her come into his office with a bathing suit so she could observe herself in the mirror. And Karen said she didn't see a problem with how she looked. She said she actually felt like she was gaining weight. And at that point in time, she was 79 pounds. Yeah. I mean, I've looked in a mirror and been like, I look a little bigger than I feel. But I've never been like, I look skinny today. (laughs) That's crazy. Oh my God. She's 79 pounds still thinking like, yeah, this is fine. I'm fine. I can lose more. Yeah. She still continued to lose weight too. Eventually telling her psychotherapist that she felt dizzy and that her heart was beating irregularly. Yeah. Eventually Karen was taken to the hospital and treated with a feeding tube. It did help her gain some weight back, but her heart was already weak from years of starvation. She underwent surgery. She had a catheter implanted in her heart. Yeah, for those of you unfamiliar with this medical procedure, it was called cardiac catheterization. Catheterization? Catheterization. Yeah, catheterization. (laughs) And can be used to repair heart defects and replace heart valves. Um, It is safe for most people and complications are rare, but can actually include bleeding and blood clots. Well, Karen's doctors accidentally punctured her lung during Mm. the procedure. While she recovered from that, she remained on the feeding tube and she gained 30 fucking pounds. Her menstrual cycle returned, which appeared to really help her emotional state as well. After the successful treatment, it was back to music. Being a girl is hard. Oh, shit. (laughs) Karen met with the psychotherapist one last time to let him know she felt much better and was abandoning the treatment. The hospital helped her gain the weight back, but not by having her physically eat food. Like, this was all through a feeding tube. Yeah. And Richard had been telling her how the psychotherapy wasn't working anyways. So this is something we talked about at the beginning, though. Treatment for anorexia nervosa often requires treatment of both the body and the mind. Her psychotherapist told her she was abandoning it too soon, uh, but with an extra 30 pounds and a renewed sense of self-esteem, she quit anyways. Yeah, she's like, I got this. It's cool, guys. Mm. Uh, So the 80s were happening and in full swing, and the Carpenter's popularity was actually dwindling. And while Karen and Richard were fighting to have Earth, or they were fighting their own personal demons, the music industry was changing and they didn't know how to keep up. Hair bands and heavy metal were hitting the scene and cutesy, mellow, disco love songs were on their way out. See episode two, Great White. Oh, God. (laughs) Karen began writing songs. She gave her last performances in January of 1983. She appeared to be in high spirits. She told her friends that she had a lot of living left to do, which sounds like something interesting for somebody to say, unless it's a lie. I don't know. Tell your friends, I have living left to do. Well, if they're asking her like, hey, how is this going? Are you gaining weight? Are you able to, you know, work through this? It's like she realizes she could easily die from what she was doing. So if she says, you know, it's like people that have near death experiences and they're like, well, I'm still here. You know, I'm going to do what I can while I, with the time that I have left. True. Okay. So it depends on how you look at it, I guess. She was talking to Richard about returning to touring and she wanted to finalize her divorce, but Richard did not buy Karen's story of recovery. And honestly, he was right. On Mm. January 27th of 1983, Karen's housekeeper stopped by the house to clean up and she found Karen lying on the floor of her closet. She asked if Karen was okay and if she wanted to move to the bed. Um, But Karen said that she was fine. She was just tired. But why are you on the floor of your closet? On February 1st, she met Richard for dinner. 
where she apparently ate with enthusiasm, and it was the last time that he saw her alive. Mm. Karen had plans the weekend of February 6th. She was staying at her parents' house before leaving town. She was supposed to sign her divorce papers that day. So in the morning, she went down to the kitchen to start up the coffee pot. She greeted her mother before heading back upstairs to get dressed. When the coffee was ready, Agnes rang up to Karen's room using their house phones, but there was no response. Agnes went upstairs to find Karen laying nude face down on her closet floor. But it wasn't as if she had fallen. She had laid herself down in a straight line, and that's what she did when she was feeling dizzy or tired. Um, But this time, she was unresponsive. An autopsy report concluded that Karen had died from Ipecac poisoning. And that's a substance that's used to induce vomiting, which is ordinarily used in overdose or poisoning cases. Karen wasn't aware that Ipecac also wore down the heart muscle, um, which she had been working for the past year to strengthen. While Karen had vowed not to lose any more weight, she also didn't intend to gain any. And ultimately, she accidentally killed herself at 32 years old. She already had a catheter put into her heart because it was weak but she didn't know that Ipecac would make it worse. Wow. So she ended up dying of an Ipecac overdose because her heart just fucking was like, nope. So after her death, Richard released uh, previously unheard Carpenter's recordings, a Christmas album, and some of Karen's solo work. They were awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. The Rolling Stone lists the Carpenters as number 10 on the top 20 duos of all time, with Karen also lauded as one of the best female vocalists ever. Her death spurred the widespread media coverage of eating disorders, bringing awareness of anorexia nervosa to many for the first time. Yeah, because of this tragic event, other public figures actually began to open up and share their own struggles with anorexia and bulimia. One of those actually most notable public figures were Princess Diana. Yeah, she was bulimic. I didn't know that. Yeah. What were you going to say? The new crown. Well, we were, yeah, we saw it on The New Crown, but it was actually, like, legitimate, too. She did a documentary or, or a book or something afterwards. Because I every time we're watching The Crown, I look up to see, like, how much of it is true. That's, yeah, so and, my yeah. boss at work was talking about watching that, and I was like, oh, that's going to be interesting. How are they going to do, like, the whole car crash thing? Like, are they going to go into the conspiracy theories? Wait, we're waiting like, for that. Conspiracy it's, theories? And I was like, you don't know? What? Who and doesn't she didn't know, know And that? I was like, you need to Google Oh, my gosh. And he had no idea that people thought it was, like, staged. Oh, well, wow. wow. I was like, How wow, could have you seen the internet? The possibility. That's, that's probably going to be in the next season. That's what he said. He's like, I yeah. don't think they're going to get there it didn't, now. Yeah, it didn't yeah. cover it. But it did no, cover the bulimia. You were talking about the Walk of Fame, and I just wanted to mention that Karen Carpenter actually beat John Bonham out. While you know she was alive for better for best drummer polls, interesting at the time, <laughs> which is fucking crazy because everyone in Rolling Stone and every like every magazine now yeah. is like John Bonham, John Bonham. Karen Carpenter was a sick, sick drummer. She was highly, good. Highly recommend you go YouTuber. That's funny because she was like the 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 chick buddy rich. She was. Pretty untouchable. She was insane. She was really good. I mean, when watching the videos, I mean, as much as I fucking hate their music, she's a good drummer. And watching their videos on those, like, 70s sets. It's sad they made her come out front because, like, a drummer, a girl drummer that's singing is badass. Like, that's would be super That was the coolest thing about the Carpenters. Absolutely. (laughs) She was so small. Like, even her hearing little things like that. Oh, we're so you're so small they can't see you. Like, how would that not be like, oh, I'm small. Like they can't see. Like that wouldn't kind of 
you know, play back in your mind. It's like, so, it would have been so innovative. Yeah, but when it, when yeah. everybody's main focus, it. like the main thing that they always talk about is your size, then I see where it yes. creates like a complex. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So reported by Time Magazine, two years after Carpenter's death, doctors and therapists who specialize in treating disorders like Karen's were actually able to lobby the FDA to ban over-the-counter sales of Epigac. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, the album that Karen wanted to release with A&M was finally released 13 years after her death. Why did they wait 13 years? I have no idea. They didn't notice their sales increasing on the Carpenter's music after her death. Um, according to grunge.com, in January of 2017, Richard Carpenter sued he and Karen's former record company, A&M, and the Universal Music Group for cheating them out of royalties associated with their digital downloads. Mm. Richard actually asked the court to reward him and Karen Carpenter's estate $2 million in compensatory. Compensatory. Oh, that's a good word. Compensatory damages. Hey, um, and it was compensatory. able to... Hey, me the ball. Um, it was actually settled out of court. Um, and while today we know much more about causes, symptoms, treatments, and more, musicians and those in the entertainment industry are still much more prone to eating disorders. According to neurosciencenews.com, a study of active musicians was conducted and found that they are highly likely to have food-related eating disorders explained by a combination of personality traits and demands of the job. Karen Carpenter was a talented musician with so many more songs to sing, and it's a shame we lost her so early to such a terrible disorder. So we do want to say if you or anyone you know is actually struggling with an eating disorder, there are resources, support, treatment options, and more. All the help can be found online at nationaleatingdisorders.com or you can call their hotline at 1-800-931-2237. Wow, that was a fucking... This one had, like, personally a lot of information and then just as far as the disorder goes, I mean, it's not like... So a lot of the other ones that we've done, like, okay, a plane crash, an overdose, there's right. not really as much of a backstory. Right. But hers was something that was building up for her entire life because of the way that her mom treated her. And uh, it's something that a lot of people actually do deal with. A lot of people are not going to die in a plane crash, but a lot of people might suffer from anorexia or bulimia or some other right. kind of body dysmorphic disorder. So, yeah, which I mean, it was a large part due to her mom's neglect of attention, but also, you know, there was something mentally wrong with how she felt about herself too. So you can't discredit that. You just have to be so careful. Like Sure. Your words. I mean, I'm not I'm not a parent, but I do think that people who are parents, especially of girls, need to be very, very careful with the way that they approach how their daughters look. I mean, what you say and maybe don't think twice about could be something that sticks with them for their entire life. And I think it is important to talk about your insecurities because then you kind of realize with those conversations to other people, the thing that you're insecure about, they're like, what are you, what? Like, yeah. I've never noticed <laughs> that ever about you. Yeah. I don't know, my fucking hairy ass arms. <laughs> I've talked to people who are like, I have never noticed I've never or noticed cared. about you. Yeah. But it's one of those things where I'm like, ew, I'm so hairy, I should shave my arms. I got made fun of. I was in fourth grade and I was wearing shorts during school. And one of my friends. Right. And was, you don't shave your legs in fourth grade. She said, When are you going to shave your legs? Oh my God. And I went home immediately. My mom wasn't even home from work and I was in the shower, like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like they know me. I <laughs> fourth was grade. I was, I think I was 10. So I must have been in fifth, fifth grade. Yeah. And I was at this like after school daycare type thing. And I was just sitting, like just sitting. We're just doing whatever kind of activities. 
We're doing whatever kind of activities we're doing. I don't yeah. know if we're watching a movie or something. And then this boy who was like kind of over to the left was like, hairy girl, hairy girl. And I turned around. Oh, my God. He's talking about me. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. That's and then I went so home and I was mean. like, mom, can I shave? And she was like, mm-hmm. what? And seriously, thank fuck for getting past high school because oh. middle school and high school honestly are the worst of it and middle if we if worst. we happen to have any <laughs> listeners who are in middle school or high school people in middle school stuck people in high school suck their opinions don't matter and life goes on after it yeah. and it's very easy to think when you don't have any like real life experiences that that this is it and that high school is it and that people's opinions matter and it truly does not. You never see those people again. I swear to fuck, (laughs) that shit gets so much better. Just wait till you turn 21, you're drinking and then it's fun. We're having an older sister, like my older sister always helped me with that. She was like, hey, these people She was nice to you? She was really nice to me at that stage. Okay. She was an asshole earlier on, but she was really, really nice (laughs) at that stage where it was just like any issues I had was like, it's very nice to have an older person to get their outside perspective. I think it was different for me and my sister because we were so close in age. So she was still going through that and mm-hmm. hadn't reached the other side. So she she couldn't tell me anything good. Wasn't any yeah. solutions. Yeah. Same. She's Same. like, oh, shit, I'm going through it too. Like, don't come to me with your problems. I have problems of my own. So it's like, oh. Well, don't be an asshole, basically. Like, yeah. shut yeah. the fuck up. Stop talking shit about people. <laughs> unless they're your sister. <laughs> for the podcast. Because they know that you're fam and you don't really mean it. Yeah. But yeah, if you if you actually like are suffering from some of the things we've been talking about in this podcast, like like the body dysmorphia and bulimia and anorexia, Cassie gave out the numbers and you know websites and resources earlier, but there are online communities out there that people have dealt with the same shit before and they are willing to yeah. help you. I'm sure like, there's subreddits on Reddit just dealing are. with mental health. I just one th- I posted one thing to a landscaping forum and I was just I just have a probably a silly question I got like 50 responses like that's not a silly question and they made me feel so good I was like you know what look and this is just about grass so (laughs) imagine what the world can do for you and they're very funny people and people there are there are some there are some real fucking assholes out there but there are some really sympathetic and awesome um, people who have a lot of knowledge and experiences that can help so never be afraid to reach out or ask for help um it's cool to like eat a pizza and listen to a podcast. So thanks for listening to ours. Yeah. <laughs> this is Death by Music Podcast. Ha ha. Episode seven or something like that. Six. Maybe it's eight. Maybe it's six. Who knows? 53. You know. You're very behind. If you click on the <laughs> description, it'll tell you which one. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Find us. Make sure you find us on social media. We've got a Twitter, a Facebook, and an Instagram, and they are all thosewebsites.com slash death by podcast team yeah and then our email if you want to send us anything like uh, su- suggestions maybe you have a s- your sister sucks story <laughs> you could send that because we're seriously considering um and then if you also have a suggestion for somebody that we should cover we're currently making the lists for our second and maybe third seasons. So we want to try to get as many ideas and um, different genres and artists and and types of death as possible. We want to like get, you know, some variety in there. So send us your shit. Deathbypodcastteam at gmail.com. We're waiting. Make sure you listen to the playlist on Spotify. Rest in peace. Bye. Bye. Later, nerds.
gonna oh, be a God. lot of editing for you, Alex, and I'm sorry. Sorry. Music by Demons, at Demons Band on Instagram. Mastering by Adam Dobb. Graphic arts by Mike Johnson. Writing by Alex Motler and Cassie Gardner. With assistance from Drew Orton.